Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. Good morning. Well, I'm sure you probably had a really good Christmas, and uh, I had a pretty good one, too. I had my tamales, so I'm really good on that one right there. My wife made chile verde. It was even just as good as like, so I got two of my favorites uh, on that day and the day after, so it was a really, really good one. Um, I want to make a quick statement here for as we're recording this service. For those of you who are watching this later, our live stream went down. It's not our fault. Something, a power outage in Orange County, believe it or not, affects us here, so there is no online this morning. And in a day and age when everybody's watching mostly online, I, I know you're probably troubled out there. So when you watch the recording of this, that's what happened, okay? We didn't just shut you out on purpose, all right? So um, today I want to talk on um, uh, the last on the series, um, uh, Christmas Isn't Canceled, and uh, the title of this one is Another Way. And it is a topic uh, that I'm going to speak on today that is really... Well, it's close to my heart. It's something you see when I get into it as I build the case here. It's something that's been part of um, my ministry. It's part of the way I think within ministry. Everybody has their certain bent or certain slant. There's certain things you lean hard toward in ministry. You listen to any preacher, you'll always hear certain themes that they feel very strongly about. And this is one that I feel very strongly about um, because I've watched the way God has helped me to grow. Now, I want to begin by reading um, Matthew chapter 2. It's uh, in the Christmas story. And I'm only going to read verse 10, 11, and 12. Then we'll go through other passages today. And you'll see as I build this case for another way <clears throat> what I'm talking about. And there's a certain point in the message where I'm going to open up my life. And I feel it's very important. So you can see some of the things that I used to struggle with in my thinking and my insights when I was in my young years, teenage years, 20s, and stuff like that. How many like it when I open up and I share some of my life where I went to, I'll bet you do, huh? Yeah. So you're, you're going to see that I struggle just like anybody else struggles. And, and anybody that watches this later or here today, young person, please listen to me because I wish uh, what I'm going to share today at certain things I could transfer into people's lives and they get it like that. And no, in no way, shape, or form do I even believe that just because you and I hear a message that, okay, I got it and I'm changed now. It's a progressive sanctification and you must be on these things because Christianity, a lot of it is, is unlearning and relearning according to the Word of God. Amen? Now, Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, 11, 12 says this. <clears throat> when they saw the star, this is the Magi again, uh, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by, say the last two words with me, by another way. Very important. Now, <clears throat> let me just share a little bit about this as, as I build what I'm going to build today. Um, but when the Magi get there and see the Jesus, notice it says that they got to the house. That's a very important statement for time-wise because when they get there, Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger. Time has passed, and by now he's a toddler. We know that because Herod wants to kill every male child two years and under. 
Once again, I say this to, with that, do not go home and burn your nativity scenes or burn the Magi down, okay? It's okay to have them in the manger, okay? Even though they weren't there at that time. They came later on. Now, as they come in to the home, they give three gifts, do they not? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're, these are symbolic. They're literal gifts, but they symbolize something. And that is the gold symbolizes the deity of Jesus Christ. Paul, the New Testament writer, who is a highly intellectual guy, highly educated, when he, became, he encountered Christ, the risen Christ, he later would write that in Jesus, in his body, dwelt the fullness of God. Meaning Jesus was fully God and fully man at the very same time. He was the God-man. So the gold symbolizes his deity. He is God. And then the frankincense, that symbolizes his purity. That Jesus would be the sinless sacrifice that would bring about the possibility for our salvation because he took all of, all of our sins on his sinless body. And then the myrrh, the myrrh points to his death, that he would ultimately die, and, and we know he died by crucifixion. And so I would add one more thing, and that is, or let me give you a side note that I add one more thing. Now remember that traditionally because there's three gifts, they say there were three uh, magi. No one knows how many magi there were. No, no one knows. There could have been three, six, 13, 20, no one knows. But I want you to think about this too, and that is that they didn't just bring three gifts that night. They brought four gifts, because the first thing you see they brought was their worship, did they not? They came and worshiped, then they gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So I would, I would argue that there's four gifts that night. I would also say that you'll never be a person who truly gives or tithes until you truly worship God, meaning give your whole heart unto Jesus Christ. Any amens on that one? Because when you give your whole heart unto him, you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. And there'll be a great trust of God. And so I think those are very strong things. So they leave by another way, because remember Herod said, when you find him, come back and report to me where he's at, because I want to come and worship him too. Is Herod telling the truth? No, he's not. He wants to kill Jesus, because remember, there's a battle between who will be king. That was our first message in the series. And so, in a dream, God speaks to these guys, the Magi. And by the way, in Daniel chapter 5, we know that the Magi, they are also, one of, their, one of their fortes, one of their things that they do is they're experts at interpreting dreams. And so, God speaks to them in a dream, which is normal for them. And God says, leave by another way. Now, literally, that means that don't go back the same way you came. That's the literal understanding of it, which is right. But in essence, we could take that and say, and I'm going to use it this way, that once you encounter Jesus Christ, you leave by another way, do you not? You are a different person once you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. I would ask the question, and I'll ask this question, and I try to give you thoughts like this as, I, as we progress on in church and things. Now, if someone to ask you why, keyword why, why you're a Christian, how would you answer that? Let me tell you how I would answer that. I would not go into all the, uh, the debate on whether there, God exists or not. And by the way, if someone ever tells you God doesn't exist, there is no God, do what Jesus always did. Take their question and ask them a question off the question before you answer their question, okay? And you ask them, can you prove to me that God doesn't exist? Because no one can prove that. Did you know that? They cannot prove that God doesn't exist. And listen closely to how they say things to you because you're going to find out that they're not even giving you right answers. So you listen very closely. Now... If they ask me why, why you're a Christian, I would tell them simply this. Even though I could tell them the evidence for the resurrection and all these things, I would say, because I personally have had an encounter with Jesus Christ and he changed my life. Any amens on that one? 
I mean, when I became a follower of Christ that night, August 12, 1979, in a moment of time, and I, guys, I'm telling you honestly, it was a moment of time after I said that prayer of faith. I, I, I opened my eyes from that prayer, and my life was different. And I looked at everything different. And, you know, I, I tell people, what, what could have changed me in a moment? This was not mass hypnosis, because that's not possible. It was just that the Spirit of God came in me, and my life went this way, and when I opened my eyes from that prayer, my life went that way. And everything changed for me. Now, was I sinless? Only under the blood, but did I still have a lot of issues and problems? Boy, was I filled with issues, okay? But there's certain things that I knew I never wanted to do again, and I didn't want to do them again, but then there started this sanctification process in my life of God changing my life. And I like that because, you see, when you encounter Jesus Christ, truly encounter Him, the Spirit of God comes and lives with you. It's not self-help. It's self-replacement. Amen? That God replaces you with Him, and that's the way true freedom comes. It's not self-help, it's self-replacement. So once I walked a different way, and it makes sense because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the, and the life. Think about that. Once I jumped on His way, meaning I'm not the trendsetter, I don't set the pace, I'm a follower now because Jesus always told the disciples, follow me, did He not? And once we follow him on his way, then now I enter into a life of studying the truth of God's word. And so I'm on the way and I'm getting the truth to transform my thinking, correct? And once I have the truth in my life and I keep embedding myself in the truth of God's word without any letdown, then I have life. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. Then I walk a new life. And that's really a key process right there of how it works with the power of the Spirit of God living in you and the cross of Christ that has killed the old nature and the old me and the old you. How many know there's somebody inside of you that would love to sin? Ever met that person? Every day. Any amens? And so we walk in this new way right here. So... This is a year-end message. This is it. 2020 is going to be over, my friends. And um, yeah, there's some happy people there out there for that. Um, and so um, even though it's been a, a year of fear and pain, on the, on the positive side, guys, and I prayed that this morning with the team, is that you got to remember that God never sent COVID, so don't think that. But God can use things like this to shake people up and wake people up, Right? And sometimes we just need things like that because in our faith we can get so complacent and people can get so far away from God because how many know there's no atheist in a foxhole? How many know that? And when things happen like this, it scares people and they come back to the very God that they said they didn't even believe existed. And so you got to understand God can use things like that. So today's message another way is important to me as you'll see as I go along is because I, I, I've watched and I've seen, and it comes in little ways, medium ways, and in big ways, but everybody has it. And I'm going to be honest. We all have what I'm going to talk about today in some way, shape, or form. But we all have this thing where we allow our past to paralyze our present and our future. And I don't like that at all. And it took me years and years of really seeking and discovering and reading and analyzing and facing myself and doing all kinds of things, and I still do it. Because I didn't want to stay the way I was. I, 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 had, I, I had walked a certain way. I had looked a certain way in life. And Jesus came and gave me another way. And I'm still seeking that other way because I don't want to get paralyzed in my past, which affects my present, which affects my future. So before I go any further, because I'm, I'm really hopped up on this message right now, okay? Let's do our key verse for the series. Let me get this out of the way, our last time for the series. And would you read it with me? And that would, I'd appreciate that all together. Here we go. For a... Child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. Come on, everybody. And his name 
will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Yeah. Now notice all the will be, will be, will, will, will. And that means this. Give me the tagline. God's will is not a maybe. Here we go. One, two, three. And that's a good thing. How many were here for the Christmas Eve service or watched it online? Okay. Yeah, we had a good time on. Maybe I'll wear a suit on Sunday one day. <laughs> nah. Um, but I like wearing a suit on Christmas Eve. Um, but um, I told you in there that knowing that God is working in your life, sometimes you have, to, you have to know that it takes time, right? And that's where we go wrong. But I won't say any more. If you didn't see it, didn't weren't here, go back and watch it. It will help you tremendously, I think. So today, going a different way, we're going to look at two things about Jesus Christ. We're going to look at his home and his history. His home and his history. And then we're going to take that and we're going to relate it to our life and see how it fits with us. Because, um, look, let me be honest. Um, if I could just reach one person's thinking, just one today, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because I know how it changed my thinking. And I know how it changed my life. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. Because I don't know where my life would have gone, even as a Christian, had I not allowed the Spirit of God to, to re rethink me, and had I not, on my side of it, just been brutally honest about my issues and not keep blaming everybody else. Because all blame's going to do is waste your time. And it's going to keep you right where you're at. And I know you can say, well, Jim, you don't know what happened to me, what they did. You're right. But everybody has a, you don't know what happened to me, you don't know what they did, Any, right? We all have a story like that. But what are you going to do with that? Sit there the rest of our lives in that? Or are we going to get up and do something about facing ourselves and how we live our life? Let's walk a different way today. I'm going to give you two things, the home and the history of Jesus. The first thing is this. God doesn't look at where you are from. And aren't you glad? God doesn't look at where we're from. Now, I want to read from John chapter 1. This is when Jesus is calling the disciples. This is early on, beginnings of the ministry. John chapter 1. There's a statement I want to pull out of here, but let me read John chapter 1, verse 44, 45, and 46. It says this. Um, <clears throat> now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Now, if you ever go to Israel, Bethsaida used to be on the water at that time. The Sea of Galilee butted up to it. No more because of the erosion over 2,000 years. There's no more water around Bethsaida. It's really interesting. Uh, verse 45, Philip found Nathanael. So now Jesus calling disciples, calls Philip, Philip, and he goes, finds Nathanael. Nathanael will be a disciple. Not yet though, but watch. And he says to Nathanael, we have found him whom Moses in the law, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Verse 46, Nathanael said to him, read that with me, would you? Can any good thing come out of Let's try it again. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, what did he tell him? Well, come and see. Come and check it out right there. Now, let's, let's, let's expand this idea that God doesn't care where you are from because once they hear that Jesus is from Nazareth, that's instantly a turnoff right there for Nathaniel. And it's a turnoff for most people back in that day because Nazareth in that day and age that was like the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus was from the wrong side of the tracks. 
Nazareth was, give you a little idea, it's an agricultural town. Most people that developed their wares there would walk to a separate town that was close by and they'd sell there to the bigger city. Nazareth was less than 400 people thereabouts. Some people say even less than that. Nazareth sits in a saddle up on the hill. If you went to Israel with us last year, you know it's a big city now, but not back then. So you could even say that the very first real miracle of Jesus was not turning water to wine. It was the fact that he was from Nazareth. This was like, really? Can anything good come from there? To really expand the idea, Nazareth is in the north near the Sea of Galilee. The people from the south in the Jerusalem area in Judea there, they look down upon the people of the north. Because the people of the north, Nazareth area and beyond that whole area there, they're the Aarets. It's meaning the people of the land. It made up 85% of the people of Jesus' day. They're the more poor, agricultural. And then the south was the highly educated, intellectual. It's almost like the coastlines of America versus the inside, the way they look down, past each other. Any amens on that? You, don't, you didn't amen that one? It's almost like that now in America, believe it or not. Now, they, the South looked at the Northerners, they, they looked at them uh, as rude, as illiterate, and not affluent at all. They just looked down upon these people. Now, because they're not the educated type like down South, do you remember when they would confront Jesus and they would say, by what authority do you do these things? Anyone remember that? You know what they're really saying? Because remember, he's from the North. He's a, he's a country bumpkin from up there. They're really saying, you have no degrees, you have no education, you didn't go to Pharisee, Sadducee, rabbi school, you have nothing like that. Who, who do you think you are? By what authority do you do these things? In other words, you have zero credentials. You're from the wrong side of the tracks. That's what they're telling this guy the whole way. And yet, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, when they flee to Egypt, as the angel told them after he was born, they come back to the city of Mary and Joseph, and that's where Jesus grows up. He grows up in Nazareth, and so... They say, come and check out this Jesus of Nazareth. And thus the, the statement, can anything, or question, can anything good come from Nazareth? You might, Nathaniel might as well be saying, that, what? That's the wrong side of the tracks. How could anything good from there? But here's the issue about God. God doesn't really care where you come from, correct? Correct? Because God knows where you come from, Correct? Your citizenship is in heaven where you eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So God knows where you really come from because once you put your faith in Him, that's where you're from now. But on an earthly plane, God doesn't care, doesn't care where you come from, but that's the first thing. And then I'm going to say the second one, and then I'm going to tie it together. Here we go. The second thing is God doesn't look at who you are from. God doesn't look at who you are from. That's an important issue for a lot of people, is it not? Huh, okay. Now, watch this. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 through 6, and be thankful that I read these names and not you out loud. Some of them not too bad, though. Um, here's the record of Jesus. This is Jesus like Ancestry.com, all right? The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah was the father of Perez. Some of you with the last name Perez, you didn't know you were Jewish, right? Okay. <laughs> You're not Jewish. <laughs> By the way, Perez means breach. He was a breach baby. Um, and Zerah by Tamar. 
Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Some of you are thankful you Ram fans. And Ram was the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Tim Salmon used to play for the angels, joking. Verse 5, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, praise the Lord, I got it all right, huh? Now, um, let me tell you about some of these people in his Ancestry.com. Because the whole issue is God doesn't look at where you're from, and God doesn't look at who you're from. Perez, I mentioned him, right? You know what he's the product of? Incest. His mother had sex with his grandfather. It wasn't her dad, but it was her father-in-law. She tricked him. And he's the result of that. This is Jesus' ancestor. This is Jesus comes to. And then you saw a name Rahab. Anyone remember what Rahab was? She was a prostitute. She was the prostitute in Jericho when the Israelite spies came in and she hid them so that they wouldn't be caught. But she turns her life around and she ends up marrying this man here uh, by the name of, of Salmon and he ends up being the builder of Bethlehem. She marries a construction guy with a construction company. She turns her life around, gives her faith to God, puts her faith in God, and her life turns. Can you imagine when Salmon brought her home and said, hey, I'd like you to meet my fiancé. Her name is Rahab. And that, What? Rahab, the one that, yeah, that one. That one. And can you imagine that? But that shows you how God can change a life. Amen? doesn't matter what you've come from. doesn't matter who you are. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, it can all change, can it not? Now, other people might point out your past, and I pity those people because they had nothing better to do than to do that, huh? But you know what? God never does. In fact, when God forgives your sins, it says He remembers them no more, which literally means He doesn't bring them up anymore. He never throws them in our face anymore. You're a brand new person. If any man or woman be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. All things become new. And the word new there is the idea of something that's never existed before. So when you came to Christ, all you did in the past, that's gone, man. You're a new person. Let me go on. And then there's Ruth in his ancestry. Ruth, she's not even Jewish. She's, she's a Gentile. And yet she's the ancestor of Jesus. And then David. Now David, well, David's a great guy. Wait a minute. He wasn't so great all the time, was he? David was an adulterer and a murderer. That's how he finally married Bathsheba because he had her husband murdered when he got her pregnant. And so you see all these people in Jesus' ancestry, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you're from, and it doesn't matter who you're from. But boy, these two things can do a number in our minds, can it? It can really shake us up. It can really cause us to make some bad decisions in life. Or to think that certain things couldn't be for us. I'm going to share my life now, okay? Hopefully this helps somebody. You see, when Jesus was revealing himself after the resurrection, he showed his scars, did he not? Did he not? Never be afraid to show your scars. You don't glorify your scars because you would glory in shame. And Paul said in New Testament, don't do that. But you use them as a testimony to what God has done. And in Revelation 12, it says that we overcome the devil by the word of our testimony. But your testimony, your scars can help somebody else. Give them hope. Let me share some things about my life. 
I'm going to take you back in time to when I was a kid in junior high, high school, and how it affected me certain things. Where I'm from, who I'm from. When I was growing up in Corona, I was born in Corona, I was born at the old hospital there that was on Main Street, that little building in the corner. Anybody remember that one? Anybody remember was born at that hospital besides me? Okay, that just means we're all old. Amen? Okay. I'm with, I'm with you right there, okay? Uh, they tore it down because, you know, that, it was built in the 1830s. I'm just joking. But back then, when I was growing up, Corona, for the most part, was split down the middle by 6th Street. On the north side was all Mexican. Anybody remember that? For the most part. On the south side was all white, for the most part. And that's the way it was split down the middle. So I'm from the north side of 6th Street. I'm from the Mexican side. Um, so in that day, not now, but in that day, you could say that I was from the wrong side of the tracks. In that day. It's not anymore like that. Now when I say things like this, I'm not sitting there saying, well, you need to feel sorry for me, or I'm not, I'm not walking around offended, and I, you don't need to do anything for me, and please don't, because I can make my own way in life, because I know a God in heaven that can open doors for me. So I'm not into all this mumbo-jumbo out there of everybody's a victim. I'm not a victim. I hold no grudges. I hold nothing like that. But I was basically from the wrong side of the tracks. <laughs> my father, who I told you about, my father was a very generous man. I mean, he supported kids all over the world through World Vision and things like that. He always did. That was one of the very admirable things about him. Plus, he had a really good sense of humor. He was funny, man. My son, Nathan, who gave uh, the welcome here, he's like that. He's got that dry sense of humor. And if you're ever on Nathan, Nathan's going to have you cracking up. He won't laugh himself. But he'll be cracking. And then when he laughs, he does a, <laughs> yeah, dumb laugh. You know, it's really ridiculous. But... Uh, but my dad was intoxicated every day of my life. You say, not every day. Every day, friends. Every day. Every day. Now, when you're growing up in that, you know, do you remember in elementary school, show and tell? And remember that? I don't know if they still have that. But when you grow up in an alcoholic's home, you don't go to school and during show and tell, you don't go up there and stand up and say, I just want to share last night. You know, my dad was out of control at home. And he was really drunk. It was outstanding, you know. You don't share things like that. You shut up about things like that, don't you? Because they're shameful. And you feel shame. Now, if you put that all together in this little mind of an elementary schooler, and in my mind, this is the way I internalized, that I was from this wrong side of Corona, and who I was from was an alcoholic. And that caused a lot of pain in my life. And I had to work through a lot of things. And I had to forgive my dad who passed away 30 years ago, many times. Because I've always looked at myself as I was like 15 to 20 years behind the curve. Because one of the issues of my life through all that was I, I was really good at sabotaging things. And I didn't understand that till the late 80s, almost 1990. And so shame invaded my life. Now let me talk about shame because this is something that I wish more preachers would understand and talk about. I'm not acting like I'm smarter than anybody. It's just that this is like a vein of my life. 
When you and I sin, we say, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame's take, shame takes it further. Shame doesn't say, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame says, I'm wrong, I'm bad. It personalizes it. It's toxic, it's poisonous. And you say, what does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. Have you ever noticed where shame came from? Adam and Eve were in the garden, everything was cool, right? And then they sin. And then immediately after sin, what's the first byproduct of sin? It's shame. They look at themselves and they say, oh no, I'm naked. Translation, something's wrong with me. Was there anything wrong with being naked? The answer is no. But all of a sudden now they're reinterpreting themselves as something's wrong with them. See, this shame deal is a big deal. I don't really counsel anymore, but when I would counsel, boy, I would take people down the vein of shame to make them understand it and to make them see it. And it would just open their eyes and they, they would never have seen things. The way I was one day, my eyes had to be opened. Because it paralyzes you. This past paralyzes you in the present. And any, any habitual sins we have now, more shame incurs. And, we, and it really paralyzes. It causes all kinds of damage. See, shame is like, is like termites. You, you, you don't know they're there until it's too late. And you want to walk a different way, the whole message. You want to walk a different way, but you, you can't understand why you get stuck in neutral, why you get stuck in places. And then you're reading this Word of God and I'm stuck and you're watching other people possibly move forward. And um, how many know that we always look at everybody's top 10 and don't look at their failures? Any amen? And we always think their life is better than ours. And that's one of the negative things of social media. We always post the greatest thing in our life, do we not? And then we all look at it and go, I wish I was doing that. But we don't see all the other problems happen. they're having in life like you and I have problems. Now, <clears throat> Everyone has shame because everyone has sinned and everyone is a fallen person. Now, depending on how you grew up and how you learn and what this, your shame could be neutralized, maybe inches a little wider, or it could be blown up like mine was through what I experienced as a kid growing up. And as I struggled to understand it, as I struggled to see it, and as I struggled to figure things out, I came to certain conclusions in my life as I began to look at the issues. And I carry uh, from a, a perspective of an adult child and alcoholic. And if you're one of those, don't deny it. Don't, please don't be in denial, okay? Because you're going to go through life and keep causing people pain when the, when the problem's you. But I have about 18 issues that I always have to deal with, that I always have to be on guard against. And they're... And they're very common, very common issues. And thank God that God led me to something where I began to read them and understand them. Thank God. But only Jesus could heal me so I could walk in a different way. It's interesting to me, there's a story in the Old Testament. It's a beautiful story. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 9 where David one day, the King David, you know David who's the adulterer murderer, but he's the king. He's thinking one day out loud and he says to his people, he goes, hey, um... Is there, uh, is there anyone left of the house of Jonathan of which I can show, do a good deed to? Now, Jonathan was his best friend. Jonathan was the son of crazy King Saul. But Jonathan died in battle just like King Saul was killed. Um, so somebody says, yeah, Jonathan has a son. He does? Yeah, his name is Mephibosheth. Well, where, where, where is this guy at? Well, he lives in a place called Lodabar. Lodabar. Now let me tell you about this. David the king. Jesus would be called the son of David because he's in the ancestry. 
David the king, a real life king who really lived, he's a picture of Jesus to come, Jesus the king, Jesus the son of David. David the king says, go get Mephibosheth from Lodabar. Now you need to understand this. When Mephibosheth was a baby or a toddler, we don't know, but he was very young, when they were fleeing Jerusalem, they dropped him. It must have been a pretty good drop from a pretty good height because he's paralyzed. He's a cripple. He was dropped as a baby. Been a cripple since he was a baby. And he lives in Lodabar. You know what Lodabar means? It means barren. It means no thing. I want you to think of the picture now. Here's Mephibosheth. He was dropped as a kid. I don't blame my, my dad anymore, but I was dropped as a kid. And that home I was dropped. And I, and I had a lot of emotional problems. But he was dropped. And then we find him living in a barren place. He was Jonathan's. He is, was Jonathan's and Jonathan's dead. He's King Saul's grandson. Do you realize what that makes Mephibosheth? He was supposed to be a what? A king. From the family of kings. But now he's a cripple, living in shame, in a barren place. Never fulfilling what he was supposed to fulfill in his life. You know what one of my biggest pains is in ministry? It will never go away. I hope it never goes away. I made it out. I made it out of my pain. I made it out of my dysfunction. I got to live what I was supposed to live. I'm one of the blessed guys. But I've been working on these stinking issues of mine for 31 straight years. The first 10 years of my life, I didn't understand it. I almost destroyed my marriage. I almost destroyed my family. I almost destroyed myself. It was, it was crazy. And then finally I said, there's something wrong with me. It's not everybody else. And so the great pain of my life is it kills me to look at other people and to watch the same cycles and to see them not break out of certain old family cycles and old ways of thinking. And they live with this interior feeling that they cannot put their finger on. They don't even know it's there. But they've been walking in it for so long, they think this is the way you view life. And therefore, they never get to live out their dreams. Now, let me flip the coin before I say the next thing because some people are going to think, well, that's not me because I'm highly successful. I'm making good money. Wow. When it comes to dysfunction, there's something called either or. Dysfunction is not balanced. Dysfunction is extreme. I don't know if you ever knew that or not. On the one side, 
The dysfunction can lead you to basically sabotage. I can never be this. It's not for me. I'm not smart. I'm not good enough. But on the other side, the same dysfunction of shame, I'm bad and I'm wrong, can push you to succeed and excel and to make money and have enough and have enough. And why? I'm not saying everybody. But why? If you're honest with yourself, the whole motivation is to prove to everybody that you're okay. That's a brutal way to live. Because what happens when somebody has a bigger house than you? Or a better car than you? I've watched these things happen with people who have had plenty and then they hear about somebody else has this and that and I watch them. It's crazy to watch. But that's when you know their motivation is shame. They never quite feel good enough on the inside. Man, you can have shame over anything. Your height, the way you look. <laughs> the funny one for me was you know, growing up in the 60s, 70s, I was a basketball player, and I've told you this, I have legs that every woman wish they had. No men would want them. They're thin legs, man. I'd say they're skinny. And back then, we didn't have long shorts in basketball corner high school. They were like right here. Can you imagine? I run out on the court. Guess what all my friends would yell from the stands? Chicken legs. Yeah, they'd yell that. That was really a lot of fun. Yeah. And so now you feel shame about that. Even my wife says, you need to wear shorts more. I go, babe, have you seen these legs? <laughs> but you can have shame about anything, anything. And so I grew up in wrong side of the tracks, wrong, I'm from the wrong place, from the wrong who, my dad, the way he was. But we all carry shame. And that shame can destroy us, stunt us, hurt us. I can never be that. I can never do that. Oh, look at me. I look in the mirror. Oh. All kind of, shame comes in every, every, every way, shape, and form. Now, as I studied it and studied it and studied it, and you've got to be honest, and please don't walk out here today, wherever you're at in this church, say, well, that didn't pertain to me. You're lying to yourself because you're a sinner like me, and shame comes from sin. I studied and studied it, and, and I thought, okay, I, I, I see the symptoms of my life. But what's the answer? And if Jesus is the answer, then how did he answer it? What did he do that I can bring to my life? And there's only one thing, and there's only one answer. Besides understanding the symptoms, and you must understand the symptoms, otherwise, and I call it recognition, if you don't recognize how you're acting out, because it always affects you relationally, if you don't recognize it, you're going to keep making the same mistakes. But once you start recognizing the symptoms, then you've got to go to the solution, the main solution, all the while continuing to recognize the solutions and changing the pattern. But the solution was this. In Romans chapter 3, and by the way, am I making sense? I want to make, am I making sense yet? I'm not boring you guys today with my own personal story here? Because I could sing a song. <laughs> you don't want that. Then, you really, then I'll really have shame. But here's the thing, if, if sin says I'm, I've done wrong and I've done bad, and shame now personalizes and says, I am wrong, I am bad, here's the only answer besides understanding all the, all the symptoms. Now here's the answer. And it, it worked, it was like, when I finally realized, it, I go, yes, that's it. In Romans 3, 23 and 24, it says, for all have sin. See, we typically, well, all, all you have sin. That's the way we think of No, we all have sinned. And fall short. Say fall short. See, when you fall short, it means you don't measure up, correct? 
And so somewhere in our life, some way, we feel like I don't measure up to this or to this. Everybody feels that somewhere, don't we? And so we typically will overcompensate in certain ways that maybe people will accept this or accept that. And that's called insecurity and a loss of identity. So we fall short, but the result of sin, we fall short. Oh no, look at me, I'm naked, Adam. And you say, they fall short. We fall short of the glory of God. Well, here's God's standard. I'm following Him, man. I don't even compare. I don't come close. So we see there's a big gap between us and God. Any amens? So it gets worse for us, right? But here's the answer. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful verse. First off, grace. That God just graces me, even though I, I'm so far from him because I'm a sinner and he's not, and I fall away short. God, God comes, he stoops down to me to grace me, and I don't deserve it. And then he says he redeemed me. What's redemption mean? It means, it's the, you know what it means? It means it's the idea of, of a slave in a slave market being purchased out of the slave market to be set free forever. We've been set free forever. But the key element of what I'm talking about today is found in the word justified. You, you really need to rehearse this word and what it means. It means declared innocent. We like to say it like this. Justified means just as if we've never sinned. Now here's, here's what finally dawned on me through all the years of dealing with this and I knew, I started to understand the symptoms but something had to deal with the real chronic interior root problem of all the symptoms and that's this. If I've been declared innocent of everything, how can I be bad and wrong? Any amens? Any amens? If I've been declared innocent of everything and then couple that with God as my father, that's who I'm from, and where I'm from, I'm a citizen of heaven, how can I be bad and wrong? It's an impossible thing. And so now I don't have to walk around with my past paralyzing my present and future. I can walk around knowing who I am. I can have more security than the people that have way more than I do because I know who I am and I know what God has done and I believe what he says and I understand what he said. I hope you never get tired of this statement. I'm a movie guy. And I'm, I'm a Batman person, okay? Sometimes I think I am Batman. But I really love the Batman movies with Christian Bale. I really did. I hated to see him go. But I'm okay with Ben Affleck. Um, but that third Batman movie, The Dark Knight Rises, I don't know if you ever saw it, but I've only seen it like 10 times. In that movie, you have Catwoman, played by Anne Hathaway. And she's basically a cat burglar. And she steals Bruce Wayne's fingerprints for the purpose of getting him to this other person because they want to steal Bruce Wayne's assets. Bruce Wayne, for those of you non-Batman people, he's Batman. <laughs> when she delivers on these things, she goes and confronts the person that she gave it to because she, she worked to get it because this person said he would do something for her. 
So when she confronts this guy and, and she wants what she wants, and he says to her, oh, the clean slate. See, she wants her entire past washed away. All the theft, all the cat burglaring, all of it. And when he says, oh, the clean slate, he then says, there is no such thing. Can you imagine doing all that? Working for all that, taking all those risks, working hard to get that thing so you can get a clean slate? And then they say, it doesn't exist. That's a movie though, huh? Because clean slates do exist. And they exist in Jesus Christ. And he washes away everything. It doesn't matter where I'm from. It doesn't matter who I'm from. And it doesn't mean I reject my parents or family or ancestry. It just means I understand a higher calling. It means everything's been washed away. It means that I'm on the level playing field with anybody else. I'm no victim. I don't need for you to do it for me. I like making my own way in God. It gives me greater dignity. But I'm not going to sabotage anymore. I stopped doing that when I finally realized that. I have peace in my life. I have calm. I didn't have that for decades in my faith. It's a weird thing that you walk around professing Jesus and in ministry and you don't have that. And then you finally get it settled, the justification. You understand what shame has been doing to you. Man, I used to push myself so hard, so hard, because I always felt like if I didn't, everything was going to fall apart in a week. Does anyone ever feel like that? I always felt that way. I don't feel that way anymore. Well, now I know God holds it together. And if it falls apart, then it falls apart but it's not mine to carry. I will keep working hard, but I won't kill myself like I used to. <clears throat> Jesus was from the wrong place, was he not? He was from the wrong people, Nazareth, those country bumpkins. And look at everything he did. When you come to Christ, you leave by a different way. So back to the question. Can anything good come from Nazareth? And that's the question for your life and mine. Can anything good come from you and me? There are some people out there who say, nope, because they know our history. But what was the answer when Nathaniel asked the question, what did Philip tell him? He said, Come and see. When you and I encounter Jesus and continue the encounter and are honest about ourselves and quit blaming everyone else like people in our society do now, they love it, and take responsibility and let the Spirit of God reveal the ugliness of our hearts 
And then we start to change it. And when somebody says, well, you know, so-and-so is doing this now. What? They, them? That way somebody can say, well, come and see. Come and see the change. Because they walk a different way. They live a different life. And as we close 2020, that would be my hope. So when I share a message like this on an area that is like my area, and, and I hear that the, uh, that on the online viewing, it's, it's down, I'm like, but I know they'll watch it later. And I'm not saying, oh, the devil's out to get me. I'm, I'm not going to give that guy any credit. But you can walk in another way. Can anything good come from you? In Jesus, you better believe it. But I would just ask you in closing, instead of looking at everybody else and, oh, they're this and they're that, and you, look at yourself and deal with you. Not negatively. Don't look down at yourself. You're under the blood. Don't do that. You'll never get better by putting yourself down. But just look at yourself and say, this is not, the way I'm acting does not measure up with the way, what this says. And then watch what God does. Watch what God does. The Magi came. They worshipped him. They tithed. They gave him these things. And they left another way. Another way. I think that's what's going to save people around us. When they see that we live another way. Another way. Well, year end, I'm done. Stand up with me. Series is over. Del Campo out here. I'm going to just pray. I'm going to pray you guys out. Lord, I believe this is one of the most important topics, this whole shame deal. Because every one of us struggles with it, whether we admit it or not, whether we even know it or not. It can invade every pocket of our lives without us realizing it. And yet, Jesus, you come and you invade every pocket, every crevice of our life with justification. Declared innocent. There's no, there's no history now of bad and right. How can I be bad and wrong when it's all washed away? I'm declared innocent. I'm the same level, level playing field with anybody else. And now I can use all the gifts and the talents you've given me to be productive in this life and to become what I think I should have been. And for some of us, we can slow down enough to have peace and not be always in competition with others. Thank you, Jesus, for today. And I pray, God, for a great New Year's. For some of us this year, it's going to be the first New Year in our life that we'll be sober. I think that's a great thing. I think it's one of the greatest things there is. That I can have the peace of God and I don't have to put things in my body to try to feel peace and calm. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray and we all say, Amen and Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media 
on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco. Or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.